Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers. Also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. Today I have two guests and both of them are pros. They've been around a long time. They created 53 brands over the past almost a decade, published three books all about success on Amazon. And they are the co-founders of Post Purchase Pro, which is designed to manage post-purchase relationships of Amazon sellers. And they are always traveling. So when they're not working, they like to travel and preferably on a boat. So with that, everybody, meet my guests, Seth Stevens and Sean Hart. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Great Nick. to be here. It sounds well, almost unreasonable know, creating 53 brands, but looking back, you know, it was uh, it was a long process and we learned a few things, Nick. Well, 53 <laughs> brands, you know, if you want to really simplify it, just to put it in perspective, you must have at least one listing in each brand. That's 53 listings, and I'm sure you had variations. That's already overwhelmed, so it doesn't matter, you know, what it is. It's it's a lot of work. So fifty three is a big number as as brands. So I'm I'm dying to hear your story, but I want to jump right into the action, which is what you bring to the table for Amazon sellers. So tell me what it is that you are very good at. So the number one thing that Seth and I are good at is creating an offer on Amazon that's impossible to be competed with and compel our customers to come back and re-engage the brand so that we can build customer lists. So that is after the first sale occurs, right? That's when you jump into the ring. Of course, of course. The first sale is just the beginning. So we have an entire process, Nick, of re-engaging the customer through making offers, which I know we're going to dig into it allows the customer to make the decision, hey, I want to reach out to this brand. I want to hear from you. I want more value. Instead of flipping the script and saying, hey, come uh, join my mailing list. Let me spam you and get a free, uh, you know, a five-star review out of you. That's not how we operate, is it, Seth? No, so how do, you, how do you do that? How do you engage the customer after they first purchase? Nick, if you think about the average Amazon seller and when they sell something, uh, the customer receives it and they get it in their hands, but then that's it. What else happens? Nothing. The seller doesn't communicate with the, the buyer at all. The customer that they've already served is the person who is most likely to buy from them again, right? But they're, they're completely ignoring them. So what we do is we step in and we say, okay, what can we do to further serve this customer, sell them more products that they've, um, they would never have purchased in our brand line? And here's the crazy part, Nick, that the product that the, your customer is most likely to buy is the product that they've already purchased from you. And it sounds weird, but I'm sure we're going to get into it. But all you need to do is make the customer an offer that is so good at the point of unboxing and unpackaging that they simply can't refuse it. And we call that a mafia offer. And so um, let's, let's dive into that, Sean. Yeah. So, so if I may, Mick, uh, Nick, the thing that, that a lot of Amazon sellers don't realize 
is that when you're creating an Amazon listing, which through our 53 brands we built, Seth and I launched over 1,000 unique private label products and listings, over 1,000. So what we found, Nick, is that when you're creating an Amazon listing, you have to start with the offer. Because at the end of the day, the only thing the customer or the prospect on Amazon really cares about is what's in it for them. So we always start thinking about the offer. And what we found is Seth and I found that when you create an Amazon listing, you should only be speaking to one specific customer avatar. And that one single listing should never try to cover all of the buyers on Amazon. And that's, that's what we do really, really well. It's all about the offer. Okay, so there's a few things you mentioned, Sean. So I want to dissect this. So first of all, customer avatar. So let me just uh, outline this because we can uh, we can then separate it out and uh, dig into it. Um, you mentioned the customer avatar. So that is your ideal customer's profile. And I heard you say that don't look, try to address several different but focus on what that is with the listing, right? You're referring right. to the list. Yep. Okay. So that's number one. The second part is after they made the purchase, now you're talking about making another purchase exactly. or getting them or compelling them to make another purchase. Now that is the, the avatar no longer applies, so to speak, because you've already captured them. Now you're trying to get the most out. So uh, okay. let's dig into each one of these separately. So the avatar does apply, Nick. Let's say, for example, and it's, you know, we've sold all types of products, but the thing we like to talk about because it's easy to make you understand is we used to have a pillow product, you know, a bed pillow for sleeping. Well, we were never able to get our listing ranked for the keyword. The main keyword was um, bamboo pillow. You know, it was a bamboo uh, cover, pillow cover. Um, so what Seth and I did in that scenario is we looked at each individual reason. Why is this customer purchasing a pillow? Is he a back sleeper? Is he a side sleeper? Does he have a snoring problem? Does he have acid reflux? Is the, is it a post-surgery pillow? And what we found, Nick, is that if we can step in front of your customer journey, let's say, for example, you're a customer avatar who you have uh, neck pain because um, you're a, you're a stomach sleeper. Okay. It's, it's weird, but Seth's one of these weird people who I happen to know sleeps on his stomach. Now who does that? Right? Like I can't sleep on my back. I'm a slide, a side sleeper. So what we found is that if I can speak directly to Seth's core desire, when he's searching for a bed pillow, he's not searching bed pillow. He's not searching bamboo pillow. He's looking for a pillow for a specific reason If my listing, my offer speaks directly to his core desire, not everyone else on Amazon, then not only can I attract him to my listing and convert him at a higher percentage, but I can also charge more for the product. Now I understand the journey that sets on as a consumer. My next obvious product launch would also speak to his specific pain point. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand that. I'm not going to ask how you know how Seth sleeps, but that's a different <laughs> conversation. <laughs> so, uh, so Seth. You talk about that at one point, Seth, that you tell someone you were a stump sleeper, which I always thought was odd. Yeah, I, I used to be. <laughs> yep, I've converted to back sleeping, but I used to definitely sleep in my stomach. 
So, so Nick, let's, let's talk about what Sean, let's expand on what Sean was just um, saying there for a moment, if you don't mind. So you build the listing that speaks to one type of customer that you can do the best job in the world for, right? Now that they have the product in their hands, they have this side sleeping pillow for snoring or neck pain or whatever. But now Amazon steps in and they make it really hard to build a customer list, which is how we sell that same customer more product. So what we do is we said, okay, we know that Sean sleeps on a on his side. We know he's struggling with neck pain. We know he's snoring over there. So in the product itself, we create what we call an attention-getting marketing device. You know, some people call it a product insert. We change the name simply because we're really we put a lot of effort into grabbing attention. And so most people don't build a customer list on Amazon because they. Amazon steps in the path and they don't give them the information directly and they try to put a warranty card in their product and then the, nobody responds to it. Who's, who's going to buy or uh, register a warranty for a pillow, right? So what we do is we say, we know all these things about Sean. We know he's struggling with all these things. So when we create an insert, we speak directly to Sean as the customer and we grab his attention. We make him an offer that is too good to, to refuse. That way he comes and he engages us. He will give us his email because we're offering him so much value. And then Nick, once we have his email, that's the most valuable piece of this. Then we can communicate more value to him as a customer so he has a better experience. But most importantly for us as a business owner, we get to sell him more things, which if you think about every additional sale that we make from following up with that same customer, we're not spending money on ads. We have no additional cost of acquiring that customer. So every additional sale is at maximum profitability. So it completely changes the way that your business looks. Does that make sense, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, I mean, obviously the, the, the concept is to use a package insert in order to bring the customers back. So that's where things get a little bit uh, close to the line, so to speak, because Amazon has its terms of service and blah, blah, blah. But this is 100% TOS compliant. It because is. You're doing you're doing something that offers value. So Amazon, Amazon draws the line when you are putting your interest ahead of the customer's experience. But if you are enhancing the customer's experience, then Amazon supports it. So that's the, the, the golden rule that I've learned over the years, you know, the best customer experience always. So I want to, I want to dig into this because when we talked originally, uh, obviously this is a podcast, but we are also doing it on YouTube. And so anybody listening, check out this episode also on YouTube, because Sean is going to demonstrate what Seth said about what attention getting marketing device means. So what that means is when you receive your package as an Amazon uh, shopper from the seller, what Post Purchase Pro has is something that comes out of the package that is impossible to ignore, right? So, so Sean, tell us what that looks like. Yep. So let's address terms of service first. The reason, one of the main reasons why we don't use the word product insert, Nick, is because it has a, a lot of uh, uh, negativity around that actual word. Because back in, in the old days, 2014, 15, 16, when Amazon sellers were using product inserts, they were getting 
accounts suspended and getting slapped on the wrist by Amazon. And it was not the insert. The insert was not the catalyst for having problems. It's what they were doing with the information, how they were capturing customer data with the insert, and then asking for reviews, trying to circumvent Amazon's ordering process and manipulate the ranking algorithm. That is against terms of service. But every single major consumer brand across the world has what you would call a product insert or a way to engage with the brand through questions and comments or register your warranty or some way to enhance the end user's experience. Not about the brand, it's about you, the consumer. So what we do is we create a scenario where you, the Amazon consumer, choose to say, hey, wait a second, let me stop what I'm doing right now and take immediate action on this mafia offer. Because like Seth said, we're creating an offer that they simply cannot say no to making it the mafia offer. So here's, here's a product. Imagine you open this product from Amazon. And for those of you uh, listening, you'll have to check it out on YouTube. But when you open it, an actual offer pops out and says, Hey, look at me. This is an attention getting, did I just get your attention? An <laughs> marketing device. This tells you how to engage with my brand to receive something of such tremendous value that you will literally stop what you're doing right now and scan the QR code, text the phone number, go to the URL and opt in because we're going to enhance your experience with the product, which is nothing but world-class customer support. And that's what Amazon loves, Nick. Well, Seth, share with us what some of those offers are. In other words, we all know the QR codes and, yeah. and, and they land you on a page, but what is the incentive for me to do that? What is the offer say? Yeah, let's let's talk about that, Nick. But before I jump into that, just to set the stage for everybody, why like why would you as an Amazon seller want to go through all of this hassle? Why would you want to create an insert? Why do you want to think through what your customer is doing? Well, it's the reason why is because there's a huge pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. Like 41% of all of our sales have come from email marketing. Now, that's a massive figure. So for you, Nick, if you could generate, you know, roughly 50% more sales. And oh, by the way, you're not spending any money to create those sales through PPC. So it's at maximum profitability. Like if I asked you that question, what would happen to your profits? Well, they don't go up by 40 or 50%. They go up by 2X or 3X or 4X in some cases, because there's no cost of acquisition. So it's a massive, massive opportunity. And that's why this is so important. Um, well, um, just another aspect of this this is a sale that you are making by sending an email and if you played your card right and you added attribution tags yep you're gonna get 10 percent of that sale back as brand referral bonus yep. while increasing your conversion rates which helps you rank up for the keywords and overall improve your standing of the listing so this is this is very powerful. It's like a, a gift that keeps giving over and over. <laughs> yeah. But is to get that customer that who bought from you the first time engaging with you to do follow-up things and yeah. respond to your emails, right? You you make such a good point there, Nick. So we had um one of our clients the very first month that we sent emails on his behalf, 
he generated $56,000 in additional sales at literally zero acquisition cost. He got a $5,000 attribution bonus from Amazon that was pure profit. So what's happening to his margins here? Oh, and then lastly, when you send external traffic, which is what email uh, marketing is, Amazon ranks your products organically better. So now he's moving from, you know, page two or three to page one. So his organic sales are lifting. So it's like, it's almost like the perfect storm of, of how do you grow on Amazon? Because you get all these levers that you're pulling, you're getting more profit, you're getting commission bonuses, you're getting ranking. So it really does help. But like you said, like, where do we start? How do we build the list to begin with? And it starts with the offer that's on your product insert. Like we said, we call it an attention getting marketing device. So you have to step into the mind of the customer for your product. And that's what everybody uh, misses is that they want to think about, um, you know, a warranty or a VIP club. But if you were your customer, would you actually respond to that? If you bought that product, would you sign up for a VIP club or would you sign up for 5% off? You probably wouldn't because it, it doesn't really impact your life. So there's all kinds of ways that we can, we make a value stack. And so when we make an offer for, um, on, on our product insert, Nick, like if you bought one of our pillows, we might have an insert that says, um, come here to get, you know, maybe we would include a warranty. Maybe we'd be like, um, a double your, um, money back warranty guarantee. Right. But we're not going to stop there. Like that's just one piece. The next thing that we would give you is first in line product, um, first in line access to product launches. Okay. That sounds kind of cool. What about insider secret discounts? Well, that's pretty cool too. Oh, you're, we're also going to give you the top seven tips about how to get the best night's sleep. Now we're really talking and then we might tack in a couple more. And so now the customer's sitting there thinking, well, what am I giving for this? Nothing. The only thing I'm giving them is, is my email address and I get all this. So what we do is we, we've put a value on each one of those. First in line product access, a value of $15. Priority customer service, a value of $20. And we'll stack those up. And at the end of it, it might be a value of $100 that they're looking at on that product insert. And it literally says a value of $100. And when they come, product, right? <laughs> the only thing that they're giving us is their email. So it's like a massive value proposition, right? So that's how we start to build the customer list. But it's all about that customer and that product. It has to be unique to what that customer is experiencing and wanting in that moment. Anything there, Sean? We have to enhance their, the end user experience. Like, what are you trying to accomplish with this pizza cutter or this toilet seat or this pillow? And then we, whatever we can tack on to enhance that experience. In some cases, we'll even partner with a third party. Let's say, you know, you sell, uh, uh mattresses, uh, Nick, and your customer acquisition is 50% of the mattress cost, which is not unreasonable for a mattress because they have really high margins. We may partner with you and say, not only do you get this, 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 and this, but if you also add your phone number, we'll text you a coupon code to go save 50% instantly on Purple Mattress or on Nick's Mattress brand. So it's all about creating so much pressure with the offer that the offer is worth 10 times more than what they paid for the product. Any reasonable Amazon shopper would literally feel stupid not opting in. It's not, you know, just because I create an insert and make an offer doesn't mean I'm going to get your email address. And we have people come into our program and say, oh, I, I have QR codes on my packaging and we have a product insert, but I only get 1% opt-ins maybe. And then you look at it and it's like, hey, opt into my VIP club and I'll, uh, I'll uh, send you my newsletter. Why in the hell would I want to do that? I don't want to be on your newsletter. 
give me something that's meaningful for me that helps me along my journey and you'll get my email address. And that's why in, in, in good, in several cases on the high end, we'll get over 80%, 88% opt-ins on some products, Nick, because we put a tremendous amount of pressure on the offer. Well, you know, you, you built the, the machinery that really captures two of the, the things that are crucial for this. Number one is getting them <coughs> to notice what's coming out of the package. So, because as you know, I mean, these days, since costs are going up, there is less and less crap that goes into each box. So in the old days, you know, you would open the box and then turn it upside down and then, <laughs> just, pick it up and then just pick out the product. So that's not the case anymore. So there is less, however, still, you know, they bought the product. That's all they want to see. But getting their attention with something that comes out of the box that says, take a look at what's here. That's the first thing. And that's how you design that 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 item. And yeah. the second thing is, now, that's extremely valuable for anybody listening. Take note of this. This is what I heard. Focus on the customer. And what is it that is going to make the customer's life better in general? associated with the product they just bought because the product they just bought tells you that they had a problem that they wanted to solve now this product is solving that problem and therefore come up with ways to work alongside that product what else you can offer and don't offer just one thing make a list of things and then assign a dollar value to each one and then total up, total it up and say, look, if you scan this QR code and go register for this offer, this is the value you're going to get instantly, which happens to be much higher than the product price that they just paid for. <laughs> so now that becomes a no-brainer. And that's why you are not Mafia offer. Mafia offer. An offer they can't refuse. And it doesn't even come wrapped in a newspaper, right? Exactly. <laughs> Imagine you, you purchase a pizza cutter for $9.99. And you open the pizza cutter and there's a huge uh, attention-getting marketing device that says, stop. Big red stop sign. It says, you're entitled to one free pizza from Domino's Pizza. What are you going to do? You scan the QR code. You opt in. We send you a coupon code where you can go exchange for a free pizza that's worth $17 for a $10 pizza cutter. That's a mafia offer. Domino's will provide the pizza for free in, in exchange for your email address. They're a partner of ours. It doesn't cost us anything to fulfill it. Domino does all Domino's does the fulfillment. We gain an email address. Domino's gains a new customer. You get a free pizza. That's a mafia offer. Yeah. I mean, this this is definitely the formula. So we are. I'll share with you some of the things that I'm doing with um, uh, one of my clients. So they sell masks, and not not masks for COVID stuff, but masks for like woodworkers and iron workers and and construction workers and people like that against dust. So they've been doing this for years, and what we are doing now is partnering with woodworking schools, woodworking associations, and then including a three-month free membership. So the association gets a lead, 
and uh, the customer gets immediate enrollment into their membership and of course they get the whole welcome to blah blah association package and and all that all out of buying a little mask mm -hmm. so those are the kinds of things that um, those who are listening uh, you'll be inspired by the different kind of ideas the minute that you start thinking like the customer then yep. you're going to come up with things that will make life better now nick you have to put a value on that association you know if you were to say join the association free but if you say normally $2999 per year here's your 6 month free membership now i know the value is $1500 you have to do that and that'll increase your conversions you know just like i would say get a free pizza value of 1799 you know that's that's how we put pressure on the offer so what you're, what you're doing is extraordinary and a lot of amazon sellers are not even thinking this way so i think you're doing a great service for your client yeah i mean they they don't they don't think about it because they, there is I had a uh, I had a guest a long time ago, and I don't remember the name, but uh, it was a lady, and she said, "A lot of people when they start selling on Amazon, they think in terms of units sold. Yeah. So you can't be thinking about that because this is not a wholesale operation. When you are in wholesale, you can talk about units sold, but Amazon is all about customer experience. So." You have to look at what you are delivering with your product and how it's enhancing the lives of the people and how good your shopping experience is and 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 also post purchase obviously is is as important as long as uh, you you don't upset Amazon with your practices. So uh, that's the idea, and then the whole situation changes because it, it the it's a paradigm shift in terms of how business should be conducted rather than focusing on selling as many units as possible focus on enhancing the the uh, customer's experience by additional offers by the content you provide on the product page and and everything else that goes with it yeah nick so if you think about like the life of the an average entrepreneur that's an amazon seller it's a little different than an entrepreneur 20 years ago like today, it's so easy to become an Amazon seller. You can just take a course and then now you're you're typing things into a computer and you live in this sterile environment. You sit in your, your box house and you type things into a box and it feels like no one else is out there. But really, like you said, those units are customers with their product in their hand. And those customers have your money in their pocket that they've yet to give you. All you need to do is provide enough value and make them an offer so they come back and buy more. And that's what we do. But if you think about what we talked about is like making an offer on a product insert that's so good, the customer is almost forced to come and opt in. That's like the foundation, like building the audience is the foundation on Amazon. It's not as, uh, you know, Amazon puts this wall up so we don't have it. So we have to do this first, but that's like the foundation. Then what do you do with the audience? So we have, we work with Amazon sellers all the time that have built audiences. They figured that piece out, but then they've just let it sit in the corner and gather dust. Like what good is it if your customer list is never sent an offer or never sent any value? Like Sean says, it's like, you know, getting a check that you don't cash. It's pretty silly. Like if you had a million dollar check sitting in your pocket, but you never cashed it, what good is it to you? So, so um, what do you do with the actual customers? Well, we need to provide value number one. 
Um, so we'll send them an email that gives them all kinds of supporting material around what they actually purchased. So then they're more likely to keep the product, less likely to return the product, less likely to leave us a negative review, and they're overall happier. So then they're more likely to come back and give us positive reviews. So we start with value, right? And then from there, we go into um, a sequence. We never want to let them forget who we are because if I hadn't talked to you in five years, Nick, what's the likelihood that we can just step right back into a conversation? It's going to be pretty tough. But you and I had a conversation last week, so this conversation is a lot easier. So we want to stay relevant in the conversation in, in the customer's mind. So we send between one, two, maybe three emails a week, depending on what's happening, every single week with value, but then also offering them more products in our product line. So then they come back and buy more. Does that make sense, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just getting ready to ask you uh, some questions and you answered pretty much all of them. So uh, <laughs> first, first, uh, so we, we, we established that when they open the box, something comes out that grabs their attention. And that's, that's a design coupled with the offer. It's a no brainer offer that that has a dollar value assigned ideally multiple items and and they say okay this definitely is worth my few minutes i'm going to scan the qr code they go so now they land on a page where they have to register right so that's where they're collecting their information and that information now goes into the database for you to start the relationship post purchase relationship Exactly. So I was going to ask you, okay, what is that communication look like? And, and you already said the first offer is not by this, but it's completely focused on enhancing their experience with the product that they purchased by offering them some kind of a value, either tips or anything like that. And, and the other question I was going to ask was, how often do you send it? And I heard you mention one to three emails per week, right? It, it depends on the actual product. And remember, Nick, the way you know exactly how to speak to your customer is because you designed a listing that only talks to one specific customer avatar. So go back just for a moment and think if you design each listing based on a unique segment of your target market, then not only can you speak to that specific person in, in a language and nomenclature that makes sense for their particular pain point, but it also allows you to capture more Amazon real estate on search, uh, uh, on, uh, search results, because, you know, maybe I searched for back sleeper, side sleeper, snoring, da, 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 da. I was actually walking through Walmart uh, about a week ago and I, I saw some pillows and I sent a couple images to Seth and I was like, Look at this. Isn't this just remarkable? Like they're all following suit. It was the exact same pillow, but the packaging was red, said side sleeper, blue stomach sleeper, green back sleeper, you know, and it, it was ridiculous. So all the, 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 the major name brand consumer products are, are aware of this, but the only thing we've actually done, Nick, is take something that's already been available and apply it to Amazon. So if I know you're purchasing a product because you just recently had uh, shoulder surgery and you needed an orthopedic uh, supportive pillow post-surgery, then I know exactly what journey you're on. So my emails are going to be engaged because I'm speaking a language that makes sense to you at that point in time. 
not just around a pillow. It's about you and your particular journey. And that's how we get such engagement. You know, a lot of our clients come into our program before we're doing the marketing for them and say, well, I have an insert and I'm getting 1% opt-ins. And then my emails are getting opened like, you know, 1% of the time and my unsubscribe rate is through the roof. And then we take a look at what they're saying and it's not even relevant to the product. You know, you're, you're purchasing a pizza cutter and then I'm trying to uh, sell you a, a, a bicycle chain. There's nothing there. You know, there's no connection. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I need to be talking in a language that makes sense to you and answering those questions that you already are asking yourself in your own mind. Like Seth just answered your question before you ask it. We understand our audience. And if you start with the offer, Nick, and you speak to that specific customer, it makes everything else so much easier. Your opt-ins are through the roof. Your, your open rates and click-throughs are through the roof. Your post-purchase marketing generates more sales and better quality reviews because we're speaking specifically to you. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Well, yeah, you, you just mentioned another very valuable point. When you offer this kind of a relationship, because you are offering a relationship at the end of the day, that focuses on them, then the way they feel about the purchase they made will compel them to go leave a positive review rather than just stay silent. Because you know you know how it is. People leave reviews only if they are feeling in the extreme. If they are really pissed off, they, they, they're going to go leave a review, right? And if they don't uh, like the product, then they will leave a review. But if they love the product, and they are impressed with what happened after they made the purchase, then they will leave a review. So yeah, in between mediocre, you don't get much. That's why the percentages are always low, right? Yep. And so when you are communicating with your customer, they are more likely to remember who you are. They're more likely to be happy because they can tell that you're adding more value than any other purchase that they've gotten on Amazon, right? So like if you bought a pizza cutter from any random seller on Amazon, almost 99% of them, that's it. You're going to get the pizza cutter in the box. You're going to open it. You're going to put it in your drawer. And now that's it. But if you bought Sean's, you may get an instructional guide with yours that showed you how to bake the best pizza ever, how to use the pizza cutter to cut interesting slices or whatever. You're, you know, it's really interesting. And then you might get an email a week later that says, oh yeah, by the way, we have this amazing pizza pan that, that makes the crust on your pizza super crisp, if that's what you like, right? So you're adding to the conversation that we already know that they're interested in. So it's just natural that they're going to come and buy. And so when they click on that email to go and see our pizza pan, what happens is Amazon sees that that traffic is from a known customer. It's already, they're already a customer that Amazon trusts because they've already purchased on the platform. They said this customer has drawn back to this specific listing from an external source. They weren't native on Amazon. They were actually from an external source and they landed on Amazon on this listing. So this listing is a magnet for what we want most, which is more eyeballs on our platform. And by the way, it's high quality. So then Amazon says this listing needs rewarded because it's doing things outside of Amazon that we like. So then they raise your ranking, which gives you more exposure, which creates more traffic and ultimately more sales for your listing, simply because you sent an email to your existing customers, having them come back and look at your product. They don't even have to buy. If they buy, it helps. But even if they just land there from that high quality of a source, from an external traffic source, then your rankings improve and you get more sales. 
I have something important for all my listeners. Sellers lose money on lost or damaged inventory with Amazon, which can add up to a lot over a year. Did you know that there is a way to claim all your losses? Getida is the global leader in Amazon FBA auditing and reimbursements for Amazon FBA sellers worldwide. They deliver results with no upfront costs. They get paid only when you get paid. Visit www.getida.com forward slash legends to learn more and sign up. And thanks to our friends at Getida, your first $400 in reimbursements will be free. That's www.getida.com forward slash legends. And that's www.getida.com forward slash legends. As far as the, 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 the whole listing, now, this actually has, I had another guest. Uh, who mentioned something and it's along the lines of what you are suggesting so basically have a purpose driven approach to building your listing in the first place don't make it like a generic so that you can appeal to many many different demographics no you want to focus on by demographics i'm talking about uh, a problem-oriented demographic. So whatever the, the product is solving. So what they've done is they pick the product that they wanted to use as the flagship product, let's say. And, and then they built their store, Amazon store, as an upsell vehicle to that product. And then they linked the brand story to the store homepage. So now what's happening here is there is an ecosystem and your email is another component of it. So you are, so you get the idea. So you have a listing that speaks to solving a particular problem and that product is the main product. Now you are looking at it and you say, oh, you know what? I like this product. I'm going to buy it. So they add it to cart. But while they are on that page, they also see, and there is a link to the brand story. I mean, uh, from the brand story to the store homepage. And then on the homepage, there is other products that go with it. And they say, oh, that's a great one. Click and then add to cart. And then they complete the purchase. Now you guys come into the picture. Now you pick it up and that's then you start Nick. It becomes the perfect machinery. It's like, you know, somebody was thinking uh, something just simple, but now suddenly their experience of shopping for that item has turned into something much bigger. And ultimately, that's what Amazon wants. And not to mention, by bringing them back through your email, you are also improving rankings and earning brand referral bonus, right? 100%. <laughs> yeah. It's really not that difficult. <laughs> not. Uh, we can make it as difficult as you like, but at the end of the day, there's a real living, breathing human being on the other side of that transaction. Amazon builds the wall between the buyer and the seller, Nick. But what we're able to do through our post-purchase marketing is break that wall down brick by brick and engage the customer building a relationship, therefore building your or digging your well before you're thirsty. Now yeah. think about this, not only are we increasing those sales, but now you have a captivated audience of clients or customers from Amazon 
who already know, like, and trust you, who are you going to go to Nick, when you're ready to launch the next product that makes sense in your brand category, right? You go to the people who already know you. It just makes your job so much easier. Sure. Sure. And yeah, I mean, you, you just, you just mentioned another plus point. Once you have a mailing list, now you've got following and you are adding another listing. Well, the first thing you're going to do is just invite them. Say, hey guys, look, we, I've got something else. And yep. take a look. Here is a coupon code for you to make a purchase. And please leave a rating, you know, leave a review and, and whatever. And then, of course, once they make those purchases, then there is more stuff coming. So it's just... The only thing that can happen after you create a mailing list is all good. There's no negative in this. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. it's it's the reason why Amazon makes it so incredibly difficult for us to build a list, Nick, because they know how valuable the list is. And that's the bread and butter to their business. Well, it's uh, having your own circulation is, is key. So, okay, I want to get into the mechanics of this a little bit because, you know, ideas are good, but we are generating ideas all the time, but the success is in the execution. So, uh, so you're writing a message. Okay, we understand the principle of it, where the offer has to enhance their value and uh, their experience and, and everything else. But there are some technicalities. For example, the subject lines. Share with us some subject lines that that you find that get the most results. Because as you know, that's where things start to get complicated. Yes. Okay. The, the, go ahead. Yeah, the, the, this is the secret sauce. This is the the uh, trade secrets, because first of all, you have to get the email delivered. So we have some tricks to get the email delivered because an email that's not delivered is never going to be opened, right? Once the email is delivered through your sender reputation with your email service provider and all the other ESPs around the world, the next job is to get that email opened. So let's talk about delivery and then we'll talk about opens. All right. Step one, step two, step three. In order to get delivered, you have to have a good sender reputation meaning you have to demonstrate to the email service providers, MailChimp, AWeber, whoever you're using, plus the end SMTP providers, Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail, whatever, that you are trustworthy. Your content is relevant and your content is uh, valuable. Okay. How do we do that? What we'll do at the point of purchase, you register for, let's say, for example, your 50% uh, off of a, of a purple mattress. Okay. In order to get this discount code, you have to register with an email address. Well, where most marketers are going to get this wrong, Nick, as soon as you register the email address, the very next page in the funnel says, congratulations, here's your discount code. Have a great life. No, we stack the deck. You ever play poker? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the guy that always stacks the deck to make sure he gets a good hand. Well, this yeah. is what we're doing. That's illegal in poker, but it's not illegal in marketing. So what we'll do, you register with your email address. The next page says, great. I've just sent you a very important email. It looks like this. And we show a screenshot, the email from this brand. It's very important that you go right now to your inbox, find that email, open that email and click, and then reply with this message or click to, to uh, receive your coupon code. What I've done by doing that is I'm proving that my content is powerful. It's, it's uh, uh, valuable, it's relevant, and it's trustworthy because you as the recipient 
are demonstrating to Gmail that you immediately took action. You opened and you engaged with the email. Now, all of a sudden, my sender reputation gets through the roof. So that my future messages will be delivered to your inbox, not your junk box. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I see this all the time, right? So the, the, you, you sign up for something and then right after you send the, you, you uh, click, you get the, the reward, but doesn't, there's no mention of it. Uh, you are talking about getting them to verify the email. And by verifying the email, you are making yourself as a sender of the email legit that you yes. are being received well. So that's uh, that's what's happening. Okay, that's a, that's a very important tip. So what happens next? So, so next, Nick, as um, you built your reputation, your email is in the inbox. Like you said, each step is kind of, its own uh, piece. We call it a slippery slope. Like every step gets them further and further into the process. And that's you know where we are basically is we have the email in the inbox. What does that subject line say? Well, a lot of people make a huge mistake at this point where they want to write it like some of the emails that they've gotten from other companies in the past. But in actuality, the emails that you, Nick, are most excited to open are emails that are from a friend or from somebody that you know. So you wanna write your emails and especially your subject line in a way that appears to be um, you know, a friend. So like, how would I write an email to you, Nick? I wouldn't be like, save 50% in this email. You, you would just <laughs> trash that email, right? It would be something like, hey, Nick, I wanted you to see this. And you'd be like, oh, okay, well, let me go see what this is. And so that, you know, job number one from the subject line is grab the attention, and put them in the frame of mind of, I need to see what is inside this email. So it's either an amazing offer, 50% off is not an amazing offer. It's gotta be an offer so good that they would feel stupid not taking action, or it needs to come from a friendly place where they feel like, hey, I already have a relationship with these people and I'm stepping back into a conversation that I'm interested in. Does that help at all? Yeah, you know, there is something else that that I, uh... I see all the time in, in our CRM system that personalizing the subject line is something that they encourage. So uh, the personalizing by the, adding their first name or, or adding something, but it's not a generic line, but it has something of the personal information. So how do you feel about that? Well, yeah, we because... Don't it's that. exactly like what I said, Nick. It's like, if it said, hey, Nick, I wanted you to see this, or I wanted you to see this, which one grabs you more, right? Yeah, exactly. So if I just sent you an email and I just said, hey, Nick, you're like, oh, this must be a friend. He knows my name. Let me see what whoever it is Seth has to say. So yep. personalization, you, using those merge tags is really, really valuable. I uh, totally concur with that. But also we have to create curiosity. So we may say, Hey, Nick, I just recorded this personal video message for you. It's waiting. What are you going to do? You know, or if I don't have your first name and the merge tag doesn't work, we may say it like Seth says, you have to specifically call out that person. So if that avatar is an Amazon seller and I said, Hey, Amazon seller, I just recorded this personal video message. Check it out here. What are you going to do? The curiosity you're like, don't tell them what it is just allude to the reward and allow them to, or compel them to click through to find out what's going on there. Okay. So uh, 
so Sean, you mentioned the first thing is deliverability. So that comes down to really your reputation as the sender, exactly. uh, whether or not you're sending reputable emails. So there are a lot of moving pieces, but it comes down to your reputation, which is your, your sender reputation with your email service provider, your sender reputation with Gmail and the other SMTPs, the URL that you're sending from, for example, if you are, um, you know, uh, uh, nick.com, you may want to just, you want to don't send from nick.com. You want to send from nick.co or nick.org or nick.net because you don't want to, you don't want to burn your, your main URL or your main yes URL. So go ahead and register all the URLs that are within your brand with the different extensions to use for sending. Once the email is delivered, it has to be opened. Once it's open, the next step is the message in the email. So we have to craft a message that we we call this the slippery slope effect. So the subject line gets the email opened, right? The very first line of that email's job is to get you to read the second line. The second line is to get you to read the first paragraph. So we, we create something that's called a slippery slope that gets you invested. Once you've read the first quarter or one third of the email, now you're emotionally invested in that. You're going to finish that message. Mm -hmm. Do you get better results on plain text emails or HTML emails? We, we use both, but as a, as a rule, if you're not sure, I would say plain text because it's not confusing the, uh, the algorithms of the SMTPs, like literally make the email look like a personal message. Hey, Sean, this is Nick. Just thought you want to see this. This is that thing I was telling you about, da, 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 da. And then don't give them all the information in the email, make them take action. Okay. You know, tease it with some copy, tease what you're going to give. But the idea is either reply or click here, click through to go check it out. Now you got them on your website, then you can sell them. The, I'll give the, you an example. Um, sorry, Sean. So we did this for a client recently. A client came in, they had a list and they had been emailing their, their list and they were really proud of what they were sending out, but they weren't proud of the results. So their emails were beautiful. They were very graphic. It was showing their products. And it looked like an email that you'd get from Bed Bath & Beyond or something like that, where it's like a, a beautiful image of the product and save 10% off. Well, that looks great, but on average, they were getting about 200 clicks per email send, which for their size of the list wasn't that great. So we stepped in and we flipped it and we just said, okay, well, what if we just used a little bit of logos and a little bit of branding? And we said, we're going to apply a more plain text, direct response style strategy to this. So instead of just showing the product, we wrote an email that talked about all of the benefits of using the product. And then we used urgency and scarcity to then, um, you know, help with clicks. And so from 200 clicks per email send that they were getting, we got 2000 clicks. It's the same list. We 10 X their traffic simply by changing the marketing message. Does that, does that help? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is, you know how it is. There's probably several things here that you guys have done. Some of it, obviously about the message, but probably they were sending themselves by using their own email server, their own domain, and which probably didn't have as much reputation as your setup, so to speak. So that probably helped. And another thing is, you know, the, the way you crafted the message 
and the verbiage because as you know copywriting is very yep. delicate so yep. there is this this uh, philosophy that i love and i always mention it uh, there is a, a, a rule called uh, the mehrabian rule have you guys heard of it i can't wait to hear it what is it <laughs> well it's also known as seven percent rule so what what it says is between two people who are communicating seven percent of what they are trying to tell each other is carried in the words that they use so that means that if you and i are talking and i say 100 words you are only going to get seven of them really 38 percent of what i'm trying to tell you is carried in the tone of my voice so if i use the right words and i'm speaking to you rather than writing to you you are only going to get less than half of what i want you to understand wow okay. but when you add the tone of, uh, the uh, to the tone of your voice your body language which means it's in person then that's the 55 percent wow. so this is called what now i'm going to look this it's up called mehrabian rule or seven percent rule and that's what it is seven percent in words 38 percent in uh, the tone of your voice 55 percent in your body language so therefore in my company and internally as well as with my clients i never have text conversations i never have email conversations i always have in-person conversations especially okay. difficult ones never have text people oh. have arguments they break <laughs> up over text I mean, like me, doesn't he, yep. yeah can't so, stand it. i don't want to rip the band-aid off if it's a tough conversation let's just do it face to face and get it over with right now instead of just email yeah. back and forth like i'm doing with the the van guy right now seth it's driving me nuts <laughs> talk about it. let's either let's either box and figure it out or you know let's tell each other to go fly a kite so so you know we can talk all day long in terms of package you know catching attention designing it in a certain way and building that value and put the lines one after the other and then add a dollar value and then scan a QR code and make it all comes down to the communication, right? And if you are doing an excellent job, people are only going to get 7% of what you're trying to tell them. So, so you need to be an excellent communicator in order to get the most out of your. Or, or multiply your effort 14 times, right? Yeah. And then so, you get 98% exactly so so that's really the the essence of it so you guys are are doing this very well uh, you you have the mechanics in place and you're getting the that of course ensures the maximum amount of deliverability maximum amount of opens and but more important what goes in that email this is not just you can go to chat gpt and then get something and plug it in and then bang people will be buying you have to you know, one thing about AI is AI is, is is technology, right? It has no feelings. Yeah. Here we're talking about <laughs> feelings, 
and appealing to people's emotions and that comes from the heart and the brain together working and uh, that's ultimately what needs to be in the email what do yeah, you think yeah sean calls that empathetic marketing so like we'll do that where we will write an email and then read that three times now and i've literally never said that word but go ahead <laughs> yeah so we'll write an email nick empathy by the way seth to send out and then we'll read it we'll re reread it our copyright writers will reread it and say okay if i'm reading this email if i'm reading that first line does that actually grab my attention what about that second line does this add any value to the conversation here or is it just filler and if it's just filler we just delete it because you don't want to create boredom you want to create interest and give them value and move them along in the conversation so sometimes <laughs> we'll write an email and delete half of it because it was unnecessary right so sometimes it is all in the communication that's all you need yep. what do you want to get across one sentence here's the call to action either take action or unsubscribe that's it simple so oh. here's what we did we have this cool new tool that i need to bring to your attention nick so I just wanted to tell you about this. Um, we knew that we were going to be doing this uh, interview with you. So on postpurchasepro.com, we have a, a store analyzer. So you can go to postpurchasepro.com, Nick, put in the link to your Amazon listing, and we'll analyze that listing and show you based on uh, the metrics that we're measuring, what you're missing out on when it comes to additional revenue and list building for that particular listing. And we'll email you the report. Well, that's that's great offer. So, and people can do that. You know, it's it's there's no cost for it, right? No cost. It's it's simple. Do it right inside your browser, and then uh, once we do the anal, it takes maybe thirty seconds, and then we'll email you that report and show you what you could be doing better. Yeah, and uh, anybody listening, take advantage of this postpurchasepro.com, and then just plug in your listing and let's uh, see what it's like in terms of building the relationship. So. This is this is great. You know, I always uh, like to pick something, and and I, I get into the guts of it a little bit because, as you know, execution is key, and especially with technology, there are so many moving parts that you need to get them right. So let's now get to know you guys a little bit. So you know, my favorite part of the show, all this conversation for me is just an intro to my favorite <laughs> part, which is to learn about you. So. Um, Seth, let's start with you. Okay. What's your story? First, tell me oh, where did you grow up? <laughs> tell me about your, I'm not interested in your bio of, you know, what company, blah, blah. I'm interested yeah. in how you got to be who you are today. So that goes right back to the beginning. So tell us where did you grow up and some of your interests as a, as yeah. a kid? Well, so I'll try to keep it brief, Nick. I grew up in Indiana, actually, you know, about 15 miles away from where Sean grew up. But we're separated by 14 years so we didn't know each other but i was growing up here in central indiana and what i loved to do was you know play basketball every day and ride dirt bikes and things like that so i was always outside doing things like that but nick the uh, the entrepreneurial gene must must have grabbed me pretty early because i got in trouble at school in the third grade for selling pokemon cards underneath the lunch table they called the school and they said you're not allowed to do this because i was bringing in like 20 bucks a day so we were, uh, you know, I had this kind of embedded in me and then went to, went to uh, college for finance and did an internship at Sean's company where he was doing, you know, things more in line with, uh, you know, starting a business and running a business. Whereas I was kind of stuck in this corporate rut, you know, that college puts you in. And it was really eye-opening to see like the inside of this living, breathing business. 
here's this, you know, dynamic entrepreneur just starting a business today. And tomorrow we have sales. That, that was amazing. So I got to see that from a young age. And then later on, after I exited my career in commercial real estate, Sean and I got back together and it was just like this storm of creativity and, and it's been a lot of fun. So that, that, you know, jumps over a lot of steps, uh, or a lot of uh, pieces in the puzzle, but hopefully, uh, I bring, I brought you up to speed, Nick. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, what I want to know is what was the motivator for you to start selling that Pokemon cards? Um, I don't know. I think growing up, we didn't have a lot of money and I always wanted these different things. You know, I wanted a dirt bike. Well, we couldn't get a dirt bike. So how, how am I going to get the cash to get that dirt bike that I want? Well, I have these cards. This guy offered me $27 for one card and I'm in third grade. You know, that's huge money. <laughs> and I don't know if that was his life savings or what, but he wanted that card bad enough. So I ended up with the 27 bucks. And so then I started getting the cash. And once I had the cash, I was like, okay, well, this is pretty nice. I can get what I want. And so I don't really know where it came from other than I couldn't get what I wanted. So I had to fill that gap. So once you started selling the cards and you're getting what you want, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the things that happens to us is we link our happiness to one event whether it's buying something or or going somewhere or whatever but once we achieve that now what there is nothing else so That's true. in your case you did not stop selling the card right you well actually i i started liking the collection of the money more than i liked the spending of the money right so that was more fun to me it was like once you had the dirt bike well that was cool but like selling all those cards was more fun so, so it kind of just kept going. So then I had a funnel cake stand and we sold smoothies when I was in high school. And then um, in college, I sold textbooks, you know, like the Chinese version of them to the, the fellow <laughs> students and things like that. Right. So it was always there, like always trying right. to be in business because it was a lot of fun. I, I don't know what, it, what it was about it, but the happiness definitely did not come from buying the thing. It was more of in the collecting of the, of the cash, I guess. So, you know, I'm going to suggest because right at the beginning, so you like playing basketball. So you are obviously competitive in nature yeah. and, and, and active. So that now that I just heard you say that it was the experience of collecting the money, in other words, going after it and then getting it. So yeah. it's the challenge that gives you the, the thrill. I think so that's right. You, you are a challenge seeker. Yes. By nature. I love like. competition. Yes. That's it. So mm -hmm. it's not money. So, so, so you are the kind of guy that nobody would want to really challenge because you're going to go after it. <laughs> That's funny. Sean challenged me to a race, a, a foot race the other day. And I said, I'll bet a thousand bucks that I'll win, Sean. So it, it was, it was about the challenge, you know, that be fucked into it too. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So, but you know, you, 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 you better be careful because this could be very easy. This could be the way to easily manipulate you, you know. So, oh, you know, you wanted to do something, <laughs> yeah. just challenge you. <laughs> no, no, he uh, he keeps his checkbook pretty close. Um, trust me on that. I, I was so, feeling uh, I was feeling all powerful because I actually run pretty damn fast. But then I forgot that was fifteen years ago. So <laughs> Seth was like, "We'll do it right now." And then I think a few days later, I was in a situation where I had to run and do something, and I thought to myself, "It's a damn good thing I didn't." didn't uh race seth because running is in my history now i'm done I'm, i'll be crawling pretty soon 
so Sean, tell us about you. So obviously, uh, Seth was inspired by you, and you got him started. So what's your story? How did you come to be who you are? So Seth was uh, not inspired by me. He was inspired by the revenue we were generating in my <laughs> company. So he uh, he did that intern and and uh, fell in love with it. So I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. I said, Seth, you come in, put in the sweat equity. I'll put in all the cash. After one year, we'll be partners. So he reluctantly joined the team. So I grew up in the same little small town that Seth grew up in. Although, like he said, we have like almost a, a three quarters of a generation gap. Not only do we didn't know the same people, but none of the people that we know, know any of the people that he knows. So <laughs> there was a huge separation there. Um, again, grew up with absolutely, uh, bare minimum. I mean, we didn't know that we were at a poverty level because I was a happy child, but my hunger and my, uh, my greed, let's just call it what it was that, that drove me to, to be successful was escape. I wanted to escape my environment, get away from the people, um, the negative influences and things that I was around. So at an early age, if I wanted to go visit the movies or go to the swimming pool, I had to go out and sell something to create value, get paid for it so that I can go do what I want. So at an early age, Nick, I was, I was never, uh, never shy about approaching a stranger and uh, making an offer. So like my sister and I would make little, um, like crafts at home. And then we would go door to door and selling it so we can gain money to go do what we wanted to do. So as a teenager, um, I was in high school and I'd already had a little bit of business experience, but you're kind of limited if you can't drive and, and go do things, you know? So I was just kind of hustling here and there, putting stereos in cars and things like that. And my brother had uh, dropped out of school and, um, he started a business because uh, my father said, Hey, you either got to get a job or start a business. Of course he wanted to be an entrepreneur. So he started a business selling fresh cut flowers. And I was 16 years old when I watched my big brother do that. And uh, he came home after one weekend with this big wad of cash, you know, we call it a gypsy rolls, all ones and fives and $10 bills, but it was more cash than I'd ever seen my entire life. Like, honestly. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. So I immediately started, uh, started selling fresh cut flowers. Uh, we would import them from South America and pick them up at the airport once a week. And then I would go out and sell them on the street, like literally park my car on the street with busy traffic, selling flowers and out of pure greed and laziness, I decided to start hiring my friends to help me on commission so that I can expand with less effort, spend less time working and uh, more time uh, spending the money. And, uh, that's how I got my entrepreneurial start. Um, so flower how long were you that? When, when you, when that, um, through like maybe three, maybe four years at the most, I was 16. Let's see. No, three years because what happened, Nick flowers are perishable. If you don't sell them, they die, you know, like fruit. Right. And because of that, I started looking at other hard goods and I started going to Chicago, which is about a three hour drive, three and a half hours from me. And I was buying products at wholesale prices and then reselling them. Uh, both at a higher wholesale price and also retail and just built an empire out of that over 20 years time. Um, sold my first business when I was 27 years old and uh, could, uh, you know, roll up a million dollars in cash and stick it in my pocket, you know, 
And that was when I uh, first decided that I was going to make more money selling businesses than I was running businesses. So since then, uh, Seth and I collectively sold 17 businesses to date. And that's what we do. We uh, start businesses, we start brands on Amazon, we build those brands, and then we sell them uh, to someone else who wants to take it and run with it. And we start something else. It's um, it's a habit at this point, but yep, that's what got me started. Well, so your your desire to escape from your environment was it? So how did your parents take that? Because they uh, made they were patting me on the back all the way, telling me how great I was, and you know, I I didn't go to college because everyone around me was propping me up and saying, go get them. You know, I was generating a lot of, lot of income and helping a lot of people in my family. And so before you know it, I'm 20 something years old, you know, I have 40 employees and we're, we're selling products coast to coast. And I didn't think it would get any better than that. But like I said, I sold the company at 27 and uh, immediately started something new. I was, I was a, a single parent, <laughs> you know, as a, as a 20 something year old. So that was kind of eye-opening. Um, I had a little girl. Uh, now she's not so little, but uh, she's 26 now, and I was raising her on my own. And so I had to, I had to learn three tactics in my, in my business to help me expand exponentially. One was I had to learn how to sell remotely, meaning not being there. I had to be able to make a transaction from home to someone far away. I called it remote marketing. Number two, I had to learn how to do direct response marketing, meaning how can I package my sales presentation in a way where I can broadcast that remotely to the whole world and then have people call me to spend money. We called it direct response. You know, I did that through television ads, newspaper, radio, and third, the, the magic that really caused us to grow exponentially. And I learned this while Seth and I were building businesses together was the power of monthly recurring revenue. So everything that we do now has a subscription model to it and I won't touch anything that doesn't. So selling is, is the, that's the only prerequisite. You have to be able to approach strangers and have a conversation. Selling remotely was the number one, uh, game changer for me, uh, selling one to many, meaning being able to broadcast my message to millions instead of one-on-one -on -one was the second game changer and monthly recurring revenue was the final straw that said, Hey, now we're on to something. We're selling remotely at scale and we're doing it on monthly recurring revenue, meaning I can sell you once and bill your credit card forever. So, you know, uh, Sean, your story reminds me of the story I heard uh, about someone that I loved. Um, you may remember, I don't know how much you follow uh, news and politics, but uh, there was a man called Tim Russert for NBC, who hosted the uh, the Meet the Press show on Sundays. Okay. I, I do remember the Meet the Press show. I just didn't remember who the talent was. I thought it was Brokaw and someone else. Tom Brokaw. Yeah, Tom Brokaw. But Tim Russell took over, and he, he was the host of the show for many, many years. The most humble man you've ever seen. He, okay. But he was extremely smart and very hardworking. He would start uh, preparing for the show. Uh, I would, religiously, I would watch him every Sunday. And, <laughs> um, and he had an exemplary life. So humble. He was the son of a janitor who had three really? jobs. Grew up in Buffalo, New York. And, I you know, snow it. everywhere. And he went to University of Buffalo, became Tell a lawyer. Capital of the world, Buffalo, New York, back in the day. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly humble guy. 
And this guy became. I love it. His father was a janitor. Yeah, so yeah. My family were carnival people. I grew up on the carnival, like traveling. You oh know, my god! So it's it's fun all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's well, it's not fun. It's sixteen hour a day work, but you learn how to talk to people <laughs> and how to create offers. And exactly. and frequently, when someone says, "What's your job title for Post Purchase Pro?" What's my go to answer, Seth? Patsy. I'm a Patsy. Patsy. <laughs> I just do what I'm told to do. That's it. Well, so what you haven't heard the real story about this guy, which I'm is going the reason here. Why I, I Googled it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. But uh, listen to this. So this guy, most humble, but everybody respected him. He was the authority. He would do the presidential debate, moderation, and all that stuff. So anyway, um as a young man being no one at that point he graduated from university of buffalo became a lawyer and he wanted to work he applied for the job to work for at the time uh, senator patrick moynihan who was very yeah. much loved very uh, old, old member of the, the senate and he applied to work for him and he goes to the interview and he's waiting and there's a bunch of guys there waiting with him and they're all harvard graduates, Yale graduates, you know, Ivy League colleges. Okay. And so he has his interview. And now Patrick Moynihan knows who is applying for the job. So he was watching him, apparently. So he comes up to him after he finished the interview, he's waiting there. He says, but how do you think you did? And he says, <laughs> I don't think I have any chance. And he goes, but why, why do you say that? He says, well, you know, I only graduated from University of Buffalo and these guys you know Harvard graduates Yale graduates you know I don't I don't stand a chance they know a lot more so Patrick Moynihan says come walk with me and they're walking and he says why do you feel that way and he goes well you know I come from a, a very hum uh, humble family I didn't really have the experiences these guys have and as far as the education, their education is better. And he says, listen, what they know, you can learn. What you know, they will never learn. Really? So your life experience does not come anywhere near their little experience they have that's full of books. So my point is, you learned business in a way where you developed all the methodologies all through the experience, the life experience you gain. And then people going to business school and everything else, it doesn't come anywhere near what you already know. So that's what right. suddenly triggered. I thought, you know, that's much more valuable than anybody else's. I love it. And you're 100% right. I often tell my, my 15 year old son started his first business when he was 11 and he wants everything and he wants it right now. And I often say my son, his name is cash. I say cash. There's absolutely no substitute for experience. You have to go out there and get your nose bloodied. You don't have to make all the mistakes, but you have to get some experience under your belt. Otherwise, you know, you're just a kid with no experience. So, um, he's, uh, chomping at the bit he's this this year he gets his driver's license in two weeks and uh, he's already ordered a bunch of inventory and hired his friends 
Seth, he went out and actually borrowed money from a local entrepreneur. I had no idea um, until he told me a couple of days ago, paying 10% interest monthly. So that'll catch up with him pretty quick. Um, <laughs> he just needed, like he already had his inventory and he's got his equipment. He just needed a little extra, you know, gas money and running around money. So um, he'll, he's going to hit the road starting on uh, May 21st and says he's going to stay gone for two months. He's going to come home with $50,000. And I believe him. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's great. So, guys, so tell us a little bit about how people can reach you. What's the best okay. way to uh, to contact? Let, let's do that. And then we're going to have to wrap it up. So our main website is Post Purchase Pro. Like I said, we installed that uh, store analyzer tool for your audience so you can get a quick analyzation. Um, uh, but the, the email, if you want more information about post-purchase pro is, is CS for client support, CS at postpurchasepro.com. Or if you want specifically want to talk to our sales team, you can email Tracy with an E T R A C E Y Tracy at postpurchasepro.com. I'm not super active, but for about one year now, I've been on Facebook and it's, uh, at Sean Hart three one seven. Uh, business-wise, it's at post-purchase pro. that what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah, that's plenty. And, and so, we also uh, have a podcast that we publish every Monday. It's the post-purchase podcast available across all the platforms. Yeah, and I had the pleasure of uh, being on it. So Seth did a great job. We had a great conversation. Yeah. So I loved it. Mm -hmm. So uh, Seth, any uh, closing thoughts you want to add? Sure. So if you are selling on Amazon and you're you're uh, struggling, or if you feel like you're looking for that next wave of growth, what I would do is say, what is happening to my customers that I'm already acquiring? I'm spending all this time and money and effort to acquire a customer, spending money on PPC and everything else. But then what's happening after that? And if you're not doing anything to build a customer list, and if you're not doing anything to create repeat purchases or cross sales, um, if you're not engaging your customer after they've purchased, you're leaving a ton of money on the table. And start um, on your own if you'd like. If you want our help, that's what we do every day. Postpurchasepro.com. Um, you can come check us out and we can take a look at your business and see if you're you're at a good place where we can step in and maybe help you. So that's, that's all I have, Nick. Thanks. Great. Thank you, guys. This has been a great conversation. And I love being with achievers and challenge seekers. And, uh, you know, great people to have a conversation with. And I'm sure people will follow through on uh, everything you offer. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Nick. Before we wrap up, don't forget to visit www.getida.com forward slash legends to learn more and sign up to claim money for your lost or damaged inventory with Amazon. Your first $400 in reimbursements will be free. www.getida.com forward slash legends, and that's www.getida.com forward slash legends. And this brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode, and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.